0: Well, if you've got a Bible, grab it and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And again, Merry Christmas. Christ has come, and he has come just as the prophets foretold. Aren't you grateful for that? We serve a God who is not just created and stepped away. He's a God who has created and has always stepped in. And we continue to see that as we look at the Christmas story. The prophets have spoke about Jesus from ancient days. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This morning we worship Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel. He is God with us, and during this Christmas season, as Christians, we celebrate the coming of God. We celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, Uh, We make much of God coming to dwell with mankind. We love that name, Emmanuel, and we post it everywhere during the Christmas season because it means so much to us that God has stepped toward us. And so what we've been doing over this Christmas season, because of this great name, Emmanuel, is we've been tracking this idea, this theme throughout salvation history, going back to the very beginning of creation and, and looking how God has moved toward man and been with man And what we're discovering is is that God's desire to dwell with man and to be with man is not isolated only to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. See, God has always, His plan has always been, His desire has always been to dwell with mankind. It's been that way from the very beginning, and it will continue to be that through the new heaven and the new earth. We began this series back in the beginning of this month looking at Emmanuel in the garden. Emmanuel there in the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Then we moved into Emmanuel in the tabernacle, and the temple, and and seeing how God was dwelling with His people through the tabernacle. Tabernacle later to be replaced with the temple. And then last Sunday, we looked at Emmanuel in the flesh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and how he came into this world as the God-man and the man-God, representing us before the Father and identifying with us as a human being. This morning, on this Christmas Sunday morning, we're going to briefly consider Emmanuel in the church. God is with us in the church As we learned a few weeks ago in the garden, what we see there is God walked away. God walked with man until man walked away from God. When Adam and Eve ate of that fruit and rebelled against God, the relationship was broken between God and man. And yet God continued to engage man, even in his sin. God continued to pursue him. We saw there in Genesis chapter 3 that he pursues Adam and Eve in their brokenness, in their sinfulness, and, and promises a Messiah to come from the, the loins of Eve herself. A, an offspring, a son would be born through her lineage. It would be the Messiah. And even gave a picture of that, a foreshadowing of that, in the animal that was sacrificed to cover their sin. God's pursuit of man and his sin continues. We did not deal with the man named Seth. We also did not deal with the man named Noah. But in Seth and in Noah and in Abraham, we see God pursuing humanity, pursuing man in his sin. In fact, in Abraham, we see that God created a people for himself. We know that people as Israel. And from this people, God then raised up Moses and God gave to Moses the law to guide the people of God and to teach them how to live, how to worship in a way that would honor the Lord and be pleasing to the Lord. Through Moses, God also provided that tabernacle and temple that we've looked at, that that place of refuge, that place that that symbolized the presence of God dwelling amongst Israel his people we've seen and we've talked about that even when the temple was destroyed and the people of God were exiled from the land of promise the Shekinah glory departed there but we have seen last Sunday that the Shekinah glory comes again in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ so as we know from the New Testament Jesus after his resurrection ascended back to the Father, and so Jesus is no longer physically walking amongst us. He has ascended to the Father, and yet in His absence, He still is present. He has sent us the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who has come to dwell and to guide His church. So this morning, as we think about and we continue to celebrate the incarnation of our Lord, I want us to remember that dwelling with mankind has always been God's desire. It's always been His desire. Plan, He's always stepping toward you and me. I don't know about you, but that's good news this morning. I don't know if that where that hits you today, but this the idea that God is always stepping towards you when we had the propensity to always step away. One of the old hymns that we sing all the time talks about how we are prone to wonder. Anybody? concur with that. That the more you desire to walk with the Lord, the more you feel yourself wondering from him. Paul struggled with the same concept in his own life. You read about it in Romans 7 where he talks about the things that I want to do, I find myself not doing. But the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I find myself doing. We're prone to wonder and yet God is not prone to wonder from us. He's always stepping toward We've seen Emmanuel in the garden. We've seen him in the tabernacle. We've seen him in the flesh. This morning, I want you to see Emmanuel present amongst the church. Also, Paul speaks to this issue in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at a few verses in chapter 3. And So I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's tackle this reality this morning, and I want you to see three truths about this reality in this briefer message on Christmas morning. I promise we're going to be much shorter than normal. It's like a a running joke here. I don't understand why, but um, if you were here last night, I mean, I preached like 15 minutes. It was great. Number one, the church is comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. You look around the room this morning, you're probably not going to see any Jews in this room, but when we say the church, we're talking about the church universal, and then the church universal is displayed on a local level. And so as we think about who is in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is both Jew and Gentile. Ephesians chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 11. Paul says this, therefore. Now, just a little contextual thing. You probably know this, but when you're reading, especially epistles or uh, writings in the New Testament, when there's the word therefore, what is it therefore? That's the kind of question you need to ask yourself. It's a it's a connecting word that's leading us into a new discussion based upon an older discussion. And so, in the first 10 verses of Ephesians 2, Paul has been laying out. The gospel. He's been telling us how we were dead in sins and trespasses, but because of the great, rich mercy of God, we've been made alive in Jesus Christ. By grace, you've been saved, he says. So, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember... For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's good news. You know, up till now in this series, we've been discussing salvation really largely in the context of how it intersects with the history of Israel, the the nation of Israel and the, the, the history that goes along with it. And as we think about that, that makes sense because our faith, our gospel message, the the message of the New Testament, the message of the New Covenant is built upon the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And so as we think about the gospel and we study the gospel, it makes sense that we would look first to the Old Testament to see the foundation upon which Jesus has built and distributed his gospel. And so in the birth of Christ, we celebrate the return of God's glory in Israel, but it's not only for Israel. And it's never just been for Israel. It's one of the things that Israel failed to understand, failed to grasp, failed to express, was that the gospel, the message of God coming to deal with man's sin, just as he said in Eden to Adam and Eve, that's never just been an Israeli message, it's always been a human message. The Jews were just the dispensers of the message. And so Jesus, Paul says, came and preached peace both to those who were far away and to those who are near. Think about what he's saying there. What does that mean? That Jesus has come to preach to those who were far off and to those who were near. Is he talking about some sort of geography that Jesus came to preach to those who were in North America and also to those who were in Palestine? No, that's not what he's talking about at all. What he's speaking of here is the Jew and Gentile. The Gentiles are those who are far off. He talks about they were cut off. They were alienated from the things of God, the people of God. They had no law. They had no tabernacle. They had no temple. They had nothing that would point them to the Lord. No aspect, no concept, no ability to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. They were cut off. The ones who were near are the Jews. Those are the ones that had all of that. They had this privilege because they had been given the law. They grew up with that. They they were taught the Torah. They understand the prophets. All of those things pointed them to the gospel. They pointed them to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus comes and he preaches to both groups. Why? Because he loves both groups. Jew and Gentile alike. So Paul here tells us that... Through the gospel, the Lord Jesus has made one new man in place of the two. That's what he says in verse 15. That where there was two people, Jew and Gentile, and there used to be great hostility between the two groups, that was even a struggle in the early church. Many people would begin to argue that, and that's what Paul is discussing here largely as he writes to Ephesus, is that many people in the early church would, would argue that to be a Christian you had to first become a Jew in fact, that was such a debate that the, the apostles had to get together at the Jerusalem Council. They see it there in Acts chapter 15 and argue about the system. And they finally settled saying, no, you do not. It is not necessary to be a Jew first to be a follower of Jesus. That is not necessary to carry out the law. So what we see Paul laying out here is that in Christ we have been made to men, men to one man, one group. And so Jew and Gentile are no longer strangers. They're no longer aliens to God, but now they're fellow citizens. They're members of the household of God. And we've been carrying this idea of a house already as we've been walking through this series. What's the tabernacle? What's the temple? It is a house, it is a place where God's presence dwells. And now Paul is relating that to the church. We're going to see how this fleshes out even that much more in a minute. So God dwells with humanity through his church, comprised of both Jew and Gentile alike. This leads us to a second truth. The church is the visual representation of God's presence on earth. Look at verse 19 again. So then you are no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul tells us here that in Christ we are one and we are one in a house. In fact, we make up the house of God that's present and visual in this world today christmas morning many people gather in houses just like this to worship and many people gather in houses of worship like this and and they come in and they want to feel the presence of god last week i had a a few different inquiries about our christmas eve service is it this was the question on everyone will it be candlelight service and uh I'll be full disclosure here. All of this year, I've been adamantly opposed we will not have candles on Christmas Eve. We just spent $750,000 on a renovation. I'm like, I don't want wax in the room and have to spend more money to fix it. And yet, the more we got, the closer we got to the service and Christmas season, and the more people asking questions, the more I began to. Pers- I was the one to kind of driving the train on that. The one I was the one beginning to back away and saying, "Let's let's do it. It's it's all about." what is going to make people feel good. It's going to help people connect. and It's fine. We can change those things. And so we gather in places of worship like this because we want to connect with the Lord and feel his presence. And if a building helps us do that, great, right? Great. But what do we know about a building? It's just brick and mortar little wood structure got a little electrical wires running through it sometimes in some places that electrical wire is a little little spotty but it's just a building it's just a facade it's just the shell it doesn't house the presence of god and yet many times people will believe that this place that we would go and worship actually houses the presence of god much like it did in the old testament times for instance there is a beautiful basilica in barcelona if you've ever been to barcelona Uh, Hopefully you had some time where you were able to go to La Sagrada Familia, this unfinished um, basilica or, or cathedral, Catholic cathedral there in the heart of Barcelona. It is absolutely glorious. I mean, it's beautiful. Steve is shaking his head. Steve and Jane have been there with me and many others in this church. We've been to Barcelona. We've been there to see it. And so if people will come in and you put your headsets on and you walk around because Anthony Gotti, who designed it and began to build it, which never finished, he never finished it. Uh, designed it in such a way that as you walk around the outside of the structure, this huge cathedral with all of these spires going up, it tells the gospel story. It starts at the Nativity and it walks all the around to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of our Lord. It speaks the gospel. So I've been there a number of times and I've had the headphones on and I'm listening to all that. But more of what I'm doing is I'm watching the people who are going around and just in awe of what they're seeing. And they're thinking, this is so glorious, this is the presence of God. But they miss the gospel message that's being declared there. You see, we can sit in a house all day long and we can be a part of a service until we just, uh, you know, we melt into the seat almost and miss everything. That's never been the purpose of God. But what we do see in the church is that is the visual representation of God, not in the structure, but in the people. There's a difference. And what we see in the New Testament, what we see in the New Covenant, what we see in the gospel, And everything that the Old Covenant and the Old Testament is pointing to is that Jesus, God in the flesh, is going to be represented in his church. Remember the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, departed when the temple was destroyed. It returns in Jesus, but then Jesus departed. But he left his Holy Spirit that developed a church. And today the presence of God is present amongst his people here on earth. So just as the Jews and the Gentiles alike used to see the visual presence of God there in Israel, in the tabernacle, in the temple, today people see the visual presence of God in the local church. And so you may wonder, how is that? How do we see the visual presence of God? I don't know about you, but when I drove up this morning, I didn't see a pillar of cloud ascending up above our steeple this morning. Anybody see that? I would have thought our building was on fire if I would have seen that driving up this morning. I would have thought I need to call the 45 firefighters that we have in our church to see if anybody's got a fire extinguisher. That's not what we're talking about. But we see the visual presence of God in the changed lives that are present among the people. That's what we see. As God continues to do a deep work in us, that is present, that is evident to the people who are, who are all around us. I want you to listen to these words from Jesus in his high priestly prayer. John chapter 17. I think Jesus succinctly lays this out for us. Jesus here is praying to the Father. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through the word through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may not know that you, may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire they also, that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus here, as he's praying to the Father, is praying and asking and Petitioning that as He and the Father are one and that He is one with His people, that the people around would see that as they continue to grow and develop. Do you remember what Paul said a couple different times in those verses that we read back in Ephesians 2? He talks about how the church is being built church is being built up, being built up, being built up. What does that mean? It's speaking of ongoing sanctification in our lives. You see, as you and I walk in step with Jesus Christ, we begin to look more like him. We begin to act more like him. And what does the world see when they look at us? They see a visual representation of God in the church. God is dwelling with us today. This brings us to a final truth. As we think about God's redemptive heart for people there's a third thing we need to understand. The church is tasked with carrying out God's mission. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly Now, there's a lot going on in this chapter that we're not going to deal with, but when Paul speaks of the mystery, what he's talking about is not some sort of mysterious idea or way to find God. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about here, as far as a mystery, is the concept and the idea that God's heart is for the Gentile, just like it's for the Jew. That God's mystery is that he's always desired for the Gentiles to be in a relationship with him. That the Gentiles would be present there with him around the great white throne, around the glory of God in heaven one day. That's the mystery he speaks of in verse 6. So again, as we think about God being a peacemaker, he has always desired to dwell with man. He pursued Adam in, his, in the garden there. He He. he Pursued Abram, who later was Abraham in his idolatry. We need to not think about Abraham as this godly man before he met God. He was a pagan idolater living his own life until God called him to himself. We see that God pursued Moses there in the wilderness. He thought he was going to do something great for the Lord. It didn't turn out so good. So he runs, and for 40 years he's been running from the Lord, and God finally caught, caught him and got his attention in the wilderness. We see how God pursued Israel, even in their religiosity. When Jesus came, Israel was perhaps at the greatest height of their religiosity. They had law upon law upon law, all of these things stacked upon one another, so that they could be right before God. And yet when Jesus, the Son of God, stands before them, they could not even identify. And yet God's pursuing them, even in their religiosity. Today, he continues to pursue all peoples in their sin through his local church because his church are his local kingdom representatives. This morning, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are the son of God's representative right where you live, right where you work, and right where you play. Shekinah glory departed with the destruction of the temple. It returns in Jesus Christ. Jesus ascends to the Father, but God's glorious presence remains with man through the local church. Church, I want you to understand this morning that when believers like you and I gather as a local church, we are the temple of God. We are the temple of God right here in in this world that we live in. God is dwelling amongst us. God is dwelling with us. And so that means that when we scatter like we will in just a moment, and we go to live out our lives, we go to live out the gospel, what we're doing is we're taking a little bit of the temple with us. We're taking a little bit of the presence of God with us because he resides in us as a believer and he resides with us as believers. So we gather as the temple of God. We scatter, taking the temple with us. So that means when you and I, with our lips, vocalize the gospel and with our lives display the gospel, we are God's representative to a lost, dying, and hopeless world. People who are far off, God is using you and I to bring near. Amen? That's the glory of God dwelling with us. We get to participate in his mission. We need to do that on a local level, individual level. Family level. We need to do that on a community level, a state level, a national level. That we as a church gathering together, locking arms together to do that as a local church. We need to do that as we lock arms with other brothers and sisters in other local churches. And we as a Southern Baptist church get to do that. We as a Southern Baptist conservative Virginian church get to do that as we participate in missions and and coalesce our offerings together to do greater work here and there. We're all the representatives of God in his mission. God is with us. He's made his presence known. And today we can know God the Father because God the Son, Jesus Christ, has entered this world as a man to offer his life as a sacrifice for the sins of man. It's through his death. His resurrection, that we're redeemed and made alive to God. As I said earlier, I think when I was welcoming you this morning, preparing for the offering, I I love the fact that when we think of Jesus, we don't just think of Jesus in the manger. We think of Jesus on a cross. And better than that, we think of Jesus as a resurrected Savior, Who's ascended to the Father. And the Bible tells us he sits there making ever intercession for us. And there's coming a day that the eastern sky will split. And he will return and we will be caught up to him. And we will rule and reign with him. That is the God who is ever with us. And today his presence remains with this church. And through his spirit he leads us into all truth. Sanctifying our lives. And he's empowering our gospel witness. All of this is on full display Right here in the local church. And so this Christmas morning, I want us to remember that God, as our peacemaker, desires to dwell with man. And so let's call on him as Lord and Savior. If you would, bow your heads with me and let's just spend some time praying. We're going to maybe sing another song in a time of response. But let's just thank the Lord for what he's done. This Christmas morning, you probably unwrapped a gift. But as I said last night, if you're here for this Christmas service, all of those gifts, as wonderful as they are, pale in great comparison to the great gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, as we think about God with us, the question I would want to ask you is, are you with him? He desires to be with you. He's calling you to himself. But have you ever answered that call? I can't think of a better thing that you could receive on this Christmas morning than a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not something that's going to come wrapped in a bow. It's going to be something that you've just heard in the gospel message and God is pricking your heart and helping you understand that this is the need for your life. And maybe right now you're thinking, I'm a sinner and I need to confess my sin. I need forgiveness for my sin. You can find all of that in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you do that this morning? Will you call, confess your sin, turn from it, And by faith, trust him for the forgiveness of that sin. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for all the goodness that you've done for us. The great gifts, the blessings. Lord, we're most grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the difference he's made in our lives. Many of, most of us in this room, our lives have been radically changed by Jesus Christ. And Father, we know... That you walk with us and you dwell with us. And we thank you that when we gather together for worship, Lord, you are here in our midst. We thank you that the world around us sees the visual representation of your life pressed out through ours as the local church. Father, maybe in this room, maybe some even listening to us online this morning. Lord, the thing they need most today is not a new set of socks or a tie or a new gadget, but the greatest need they have in their life is a relationship with the God who created them for himself. So, Lord, I pray that through the Holy Spirit, through the words that we've shared this morning, you would bring them to saving faith. God, give them the ability, the power, the desire to call upon you as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray you'd help us all, those of us who know the Lord Jesus today, that as we scatter in just a few moments and take the temple with us, help us, Lord, to live out the gospel in our lives, And to vocalize it with our lips with the people who are closest to us and the people who are in need of the lord jesus thank you for coming to us thank you for loving us we give you all praise and glory for that we pray all this in jesus name amen we trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today if you have just made a decision to follow jesus or if you would like to pray with someone or even if you want to know more about our church please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.